Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? This is Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, your host and guide for this waterfowl season. And I am joined by Hunter, the king of the cans from Iowa. How are you doing tonight, Hunter? I'm doing a lot better now. Yeah, yeah. We've, we had a little bit of technical struggles, but um, we're here now. You guys won't get to see or hear any about any about that. Um, <laughs> but we got we got an exciting podcast planned for you guys tonight. We're going to be talking all about late season tactics. Um, it is, you know, that time of year where really we're, we're going down to the wire in a lot of the parts of the country. Um, so don't take these last few weeks for granted, uh, because come March, uh, or, you know, maybe the day after for some of us, uh, you're going to be wishing that you had some of those days back. So we're going to talk about all the ways that you can be successful on these last few weeks of late season, um, especially on those honkers. Uh, I know I'm excited for, I still got, uh, I still got a few weeks um, to go and I'm going to be hitting it hard. Actually, Hunter, um, you and the Patreon winner, which we don't talk about Patreon too much is patreon.com slash duck and chronicles. Um, but the Patreon winner from the hunt giveaway uh, that we did this year, uh, he is coming. You're and you're going to come too. And yep. we're going to, we're we'll be chasing some late season honkers. So, um, so uh, listen, listen up, Hunter. <laughs> Not really, but uh, uh, I know you do fine on the honker. So we're going to share some of some of our best tips to get on those late season uh, sky pandas here coming short. So um, we do need to give a little update um, because we left off on the lot the last podcast episode going out to the last morning um, on that sweet sweet private blind flooded corn ice eaters going so um yeah let's let's just uh kind of i mean we need to wrap that one up put a nice bow on on the story there so uh, i'll let you take it away hunter um well we got out there just like we had planned it was uh zach you and myself so it was just us three to start the morning which was kind of nice you know like i mean not nothing wrong with hunting with the other guys but it was kind of nice just the three of us to be able to go out there and start the day off and hunt in the spot and just as we got expected, we got there. Ice heaters kept all the ice out of the decoys, which was super nice. We didn't have to break any ice. Like 11 degrees. I do, I do want to mention something that you said, though, because it's like you said that it was us three to start. It, it was awesome. Like, I can't believe that. Um, what's the right word? That Austin was that willing to, like, let kind of, you know, three guys he just barely even knew. Yeah, go out to his private. Like, I mean, he's worked his butt off for years, not only this year, but for years to have that set up. Um, yeah, so I was blown away, like you said, and then just the three of us to get to hang out. Um, and it was a ton of fun to hunt with those those uh, southern boys as well. So, mm-hmm. um, some good old boys, and and I definitely hope we uh, we cross cross paths with them again, and uh, at some point, you know, whether yeah. it's whether no matter where it's at, because you know. Good old boys that love duck hunting, no matter where they're from, it's it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, and it, like you said, it, it's crazy because the day before, I mean, we spent what five hours with him in the blind, four hours with him in the blind, and that's the only time he's ever met us. 
And he's like, yeah, sure. You three of you can go out to my private spot. When you get out there in the morning, make sure the ice eaters are working. And like, right. you know, like that was right. his like request was make sure the ice eaters were working and that yeah. we didn't make too many, uh, break up too much ice going in and out if we had to go into the decoys. Right. Yeah. Like that was the request. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Super cool. Yeah. Super, super cool. But season opened up and I don't even know, was it like, 10, 15 minutes into season. It was still pretty dark, but it wasn't super dark. We had a group of, what was it, like eight teal came in through the decoys and just came over a shoulder, swung around out in front of us, and then came back in and set right up with the decoys. And uh, I got one shot off because my gun jammed. And I think you shot, what, twice? Yeah. Yeah. yeah missed one shell and shot the second one. And we ended up with two blue or two green wings out of that flock. So that was right. kind of fun. And it was like, oh man, it's on, right? I'm just sitting there thinking it's on, it's on. And I have to eat curl a little bit because I told him, I was like, oh, there's no way the birds don't eat in the morning. They don't feed in the morning. And I was like, it's on, it's on. It was not on. <laughs> it, was, right. it was definitely not. I mean, we watched yeah. the birds fly over first light and then it just died. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a super cool area because of you know just the way they got the flyways and major river systems coming down so we did see some birds fly um but like i said it kind of died pretty quick it was a, a bluebird i mean super cold day we're talking wind chills and the negatives um and so we decided to pack her up um i'm gonna say about 11 and we talked about like staying later much later but like um i think we all thought that it, it would at least pick up by then if it was going to and the thing was we had like a couple flocks where like one would peel off of like 20 and circle us. Right. Mm-hmm. And almost come in. And it was, I mean, they're high, but it was like, it was beautiful. And they just wouldn't do it then. And I was so surprised, so shocked that like, um, cause usually with ice it almost makes them dumb, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, cause like where else are they going to go kind of thing, um, but they wouldn't do it. So I'm like, okay, well it just, it, it's, it's kind of like, uh, when you start, um, a hunt off a lot of times you can set your expectation for how they're going to finish with your hide and the decoy set and all that and it's like are they going to land in the decoys or are they going to like peel off at 25 and you got to take those shots um, before they land and that's just what you get that day right for whatever reason um, and it seemed like they just weren't even going to finish so uh, we decided to pack her up and get going you know we, we all had long drives Zach had the longest with maybe like a 10 hour drive back home but we got no further than two hours away. And I get a uh, text from Austin. He's like, you guys left way too soon. And his, his guns just covered in blood. He's showing me straps hanging on the wall. And I mean, I think they killed like what? 26 ducks that day or something. Yeah. Crazy. It was just somewhere, somewhere between 20 and 30 <laughs> birds that afternoon. Yeah. And so we, we made this big plan and big push to like meet the migration down South and we missed it by two hours. <laughs> yeah. And then they proceeded to just absolutely whack them and stack them for like the next four days. I mean, it's every day they were shooting. Shoot there, limits. Yeah, yeah, it was limits every single day. And yeah. I mean, that blind can shoot seven guys. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we just, we barely missed it. We said it was like a Hail Mary. And, um, you know, I guess some lessons learned on time and the migration. I haven't done that much. Um, and I thought we would have timed it right. Maybe potentially. We're just a little too early. And the other thing to maybe consider is uh, other times when you think it's the migration and you have like a crazy weather system like that, it might be like the birds that have already made the push kind of starting it off. 
and then more birds flying in. But this year being such a warm year, like we've talked about it in the last few podcasts, but uh, December average U.S. temperature rank since they started recording 129 years ago. It was ranked 129th, so the warmest since they started recording. Um, so obviously there wasn't very many. Like there was, uh, there wasn't that amount of birds down south yet. So maybe that just took it a bit longer than normal. I don't know, but yeah. lessons learned from trying to time that migration. Maybe you just can't time it perfectly. Uh, but we we're just that close. So like we said, we had an awesome time. It was yeah. a cool, like a cultural experience. Um, it was cool, like the setup and seeing the private blind and all that kind of stuff. Um, but like at the end of it, man, it would have been unbelievable to be in that blind. Like it's not, it's an experience I've never had. And like, I enjoyed that part, but like the icing on the cake truly would have been like shooting those limits and and seeing like just, oh yeah. So, and like, and the way they worked down into there was kind of cool. And like the group, it really was. We're like, cause for like context, if anybody didn't see any of the shorts or anything that came from it, this blind is in the middle of a flooded cornfield that's diked. But what is it? What do you think? It's like 50, 75 yards all the way around it is a tree line. And so right. like the birds can't really, it's not like when they come across a marsh where they kind of come in kind of flat, they actually kind of got to elevate it across and down across the tree lines, which is just so cool. And yeah, it would yeah, have been it's, super It's almost awesome. like trafficking birds. It's like the mm-hmm. birds really... Like there's just so many birds coming through, you know, and the, it's like the crossroads of the flyways through the Mississippi flyway kind of thing. And uh, they're just trafficking birds that are migrating through. Yeah. So one of the other things is was- really cool. Yeah. One of the other things I was worried about was uh, or wondering about, I guess I should say, is I wonder if the birds did migrate there when we were down there but they had enough food on the refuges and stuff to not have to like go search for food right away. And we left before they had to go out and search for a lot of food. I don't know. Maybe they flew into the refuge the night of, and then, you know, they went out to feed and came back to like roost or something, other places or who knows. I don't know. A lot of times this time of year, they're not feeding as much in water, but I guess it was flooded corn. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just, it, and I do give good credit to them. They know their spot. They told us when we left there the day before, Hey, it's going to be dead until the afternoon, but you're more than welcome to hunt it if you want. And we're like, nah, okay, let me show that. Not we. I was like, nah, there's no way. It's going to be cold. The birds are going to have to eat. We will shoot birds in this cornfield tomorrow. And they did in the afternoon when they said they were going to. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, they got it done. Yep. All righty. Let's go ahead and get a quick word from our partners, and then we'll jump into the main meat of the podcast, late season tactics for uh, big old honkers. So first off, I'd like to give big thanks to Weatherby. Guess Weatherby makes some awesome shotguns for the waterfowl hunter. They got the side-by-side. I've been using that, the Orion SXS. Apparently, I can't say SXX, but... But it's a great shotgun regardless. Uh, side by side, I got it in 12 gauge. I got it in 20. Um, it's, you know, it's a stellar waterfowl designed for the waterfowl hunter. They got the um, Weatherby 18i as well. That's the their classy one in the deluxe. And then they got it in camos as well. Um, and then the element. They've been long known for their excellence in rifles. And now they're known for their excellence in shotguns as well. So if you're in the market for a waterfowl shotgun, um, consider Weatherby. You won't regret it. 
Also like to give a big thanks to Final Approach. Guys, Final Approach still running their end of the cell, end of the season cell. So jump over there. I'm not sure when that's gonna not sure when when that's gonna end. I actually put out a short this week wearing all the white. They got the white hoodie, the white grid hoodie. The white hoodie that I like is the heavy knockout, the heavy cotton knockout hoodie, really thick, um, really comfortable. It's it's a little bit oversized, so it fits great over other stuff as well. Um, but they got it in white. Um, they got it in some other colors too, other colors too. Um, they have white hats, all that stuff, so that you can um, match kind of the hide in these late season conditions. Now that they're just the one stop shop for the duck hunter, so um, check them out over there, guys. FABrand.com and use code DuckGun over there, and you'll get ten percent off. Um, and the, like I said, end of the season sales, you're crazy if you don't check them out because they are some awesome deals. Um, also like to give a big thanks to Onyx guys. Onyx, um, is a great app for the waterfowl hunter. Uh, we use it for pins all the time, whether it's, whether it's public, whether it's private, whether it's local, whether it's on trips, whether you're marking down distance, whether you're running it back to look at, um, recent imagery so you can see water levels in the past or, um, if you're going to a destination, looking what the water levels were a couple weeks in the past, it's just got so many tools that are so useful for the waterfowl hunter. If you're not using it and the competition around you is, you're 100% at a disadvantage. So go over there and check out Onyx. Um, also, like to give a big thanks to Motion Ducks, guys. Motion Ducks is the jerk rig on steroids. Um, throw it out there on those no-win days. Sets up in minutes. Tears down just the same. Um, I run it pretty much every single duck hunt uh, because I've been bit too many times thinking, ah, I'm going to save some energy and not put it out. And then you get get all set up and the wind's not hitting the water in front of you um, because you got big trees behind you or the cattails are blocking it or, or whatever. And it just don't you just don't have the ripples and the motion in your set like you need for those late season birds. Um, so definitely check them out, guys. You can you, go over to motiondex.com slash duck and chronicles. And you'll get a free anchor bag and use the code DuckGun10 over there, 10% off. That's your best deal over there at Motion Ducks. Alrighty, let's go ahead and jump into our topic for today. We got late season tactics for honkers. And that's what time of year it is right now. I know we got a lot of hunters that um, are excited about that, and I am too. So first off, the first thing I got, first tip for um, you guys on the late season honkers on the late season honkers is change how you scout um, the way or the places that the birds are, the geese are this time of year starts to change their habits start to change and the way they react and everything starts to change. So they won't be on uh, the marshland that won't be on the farm ponds. Everything's starting to freeze. Um, so they'll be in the rivers and they'll be on the big water and they'll be feeding more often. So definitely, Change the way you scout from early season, and you're going to be able to find the honkers a little bit easier. Definitely, definitely, definitely be looking for like the uh, open water on running water if you're like this year where it's really, really cold. And the other thing with that is, is that typically like on running streams or what you would call a river, what I'd call a creek, it's like the outside corners of a bend. That's where like a lot of times open water will be, and the birds will sit on that. So just a little tip there. So. Awesome. All right. You ready for the, my first one here is, uh, is the dare to be different. If you can drive around and there's five or six other groups and you all see that they're all running 20 dozen silhouettes, don't do that. Do whatever they're not doing. 
So like if you're seeing guys all out in layout blinds, use an A-frame. If you see a bunch of guys that are hunting around you, they're using A-frames, use layout blinds. You got to be, you got to give them something different than the, the geese haven't seen around you. Cause I think that they are smart enough to figure it out. And if you're able to switch it up from what other spreads and what other people around you are doing, then in my experience, you'll have more success, success that way. Awesome. Definitely, definitely agree on that. Um, the next one I got is river hunt the geese. So a lot of people, I feel like nowadays the game is field hunting. Everybody wants to have a trailer full of decoys um, and field hunt. They want to have, you know, six layouts or a couple A-frames or, or, you know, all that knocking on doors. And I get it like field hunts, in my opinion, are feast or famine. If you're doing everything right, they're going to be feast more than they are famine. Um, so that being said, you can have some really cool, fun field hunts. And I have over the, over the years, um, and I definitely wouldn't trade those, um, all together, but I think especially for, um, a new guy getting in or solo guy that doesn't want to do all the field work himself. Um, cause it is a lot of work setting up decoys, setting up, uh, even, even just if you have to walk out to the spot, you know, I've walked out in some really muddy, tough fields like pulling sleds and, and all kinds of grueling work when you're by this by yourself and it doesn't always make as much sense to do the field hunt that being said like you're missing out on some great opportunities um to hunt the river and get on some birds and honestly at at heart i'm a water hunter i think it has to do with like dog work um seeing a dog work in the river i mean you can pick up the bird. let's be honest like you can walk in a field and go pick up the bird yourself um is it good for the dog to get some reps, this and that? Yes, it is. Um, but on the river, I mean, there's so much more um, a necessity, you know, to having a successful hunt. Um, they can bring some great value. So, I mean, a lot of things, just in general, I just feel like the water calls to me. I think I've said that before. Um, so don't be afraid to hunt the river. There are some sects, sectors of the duck hunting and the goose hunting uh, community that will say you're hunting the roost. And we went over that on our, I think, which podcast was that? The over the five over and underrated? Yeah. I can't remember. No, maybe it was controversial questions or I can't remember. Either way, we went over it in the past. But like, yeah. So it's like, sure, maybe try to avoid the roost if you can. But like the whole river is not the roost. Yeah. You can hunt part of the river um, and still have a good hunt and not mess up the guys in the fields completely. And um, oh, all that being said is I just love hunting geese especially late season having lots of success lots of success over the years hunting late season geese on the river yeah i'm 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 the same way we usually switch around to like the permanent blinds and sandbars on the big rivers by us here on the mississippi so i don't have those little creek rivers like you do but (laughs) they they make for some cool uh some cool decoys when they come cupping in there so oh yeah like they come in all tight it's awesome compared to like us where they fly like three feet above the water for 400 it yards. probably looks similar to them coming in a field right yeah but like it looks like in your creeks and stuff they have to like come through the trees where they kind well, of have to drop I, yeah. over the trees right they'll they'll bunch up and it'll be like a longer trail whereas mm-hmm. like you know in a field it'll just be like 20 wide yep yeah All right. So my next tip is uh, later in the season, and this is talking more about field hunting, but uh, later in the season, I tend not to set decoys in U's or J shapes. I tend to set them in what I would call family clusters, you know, groups of six to eight decoys, and then make sure that there's not the same amount of decoys in every group. 
but just kind of add them in family clusters and then leave an opening for the geese to come into. So I don't tend to make a specific GA or a U shape with full bodies or with silhouettes, just have little groups. And then the little groups themselves kind of make the shape, the overall shape that you want. I think I'm going to have to start hiding my uh, file here. I think you've, uh, you've been cheating off my paper again. Mm, no, I definitely have not. <laughs> Is that one that you had? Oh, I mean, yeah, I think, yeah, you're, you're, I think you're right on the track. That's something I have on my list as well. Um, and you kind of said it in the first one as well, like being different. Mm. Um, so every group you see out there is going to have some type of J hook or um, extended arm as like a blocking arm and, and stuff like that. And will it work? Probably, you know, is it better to try to change it up? You know, I don't necessarily go like the family group style. Um, that's what I do like early season. I more go like a blob is what I would call it. And then, like you said, try to leave your opening where you want your, your birds to finish. Um, but yeah, it's just changing it up. And I think a lot of times, even like sometimes you get these fields that you can hunt multiple times a year. And I do think some of the birds you actually are hunting the same birds. Um, if you know, they're using the same roost and it's not too long. So it's like you said, if you hunted them, you can include yourself. Cause you said, Hey, if you see other groups doing this, don't do that. It's like if you hunted an A-frame the first time and you got access to layouts, there's nothing wrong with switching it up to layouts the next time just to kind of be safe. Or maybe you hunt A-frames and then the next time you have A-frames and you notice them flaring, there's nothing wrong with switching that to the layouts. Actually, it's it's probably a better idea to, to switch it up and kind of keep it new and fresh. Same thing with your decoy spread. It's not just looking at other people's spreads. If you're hunting your same field, you know, mm-hmm. change it up on that too. Yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. And I don't know. You can never have too much gear, I guess, when it comes down to it. Right, right. Yeah, the other the other thing I'd add to that, and this goes more for, again, showing me as a water hunter, but like adding those sleeper shells, I think is huge for when we're talking about decoy spreads. And I mean, a lot of guys don't have that, right? So um, adding those sleeper, the sleeper shells, I'm still a big fan of silhouettes, so I'm running those silhouettes pretty much all the time. I actually don't even own any full bodies. Um, so silhouettes, FM makes some great ones, by the way. Um, but, you know, and, and another tip, if you're going to run those, especially in the water in late season, keep a hammer in your um, silhouette bag so you can pound the stakes into the ice. Mm-hmm. just takes a little bit, just a little bit tap, tap on there and, and it'll be sticking in the ice and you'll be glad you did. Like, uh, we had some this over the weekend, we only killed one bird. So, uh, not much of a story to tell, but, uh, we were able to, uh, put our silhouettes into the snow. Um, and then the rest where there wasn't snow, just ice tap them in. So, all right. So quick, shameless plug, two things about the FA, the FA silhouettes are really nice. Cause they have like that handle on the top to pick them back out of the ground with. And it's right. like super awesome. And then the oh, FA yeah. sleeper shells you're talking about are actually taller than a lot of the other sleeper shells I've used. They're like two or three inches taller and it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but we had a spread that we left set up with some FA sleeper shells and then some other brands. And it was amazing how much more I could see them. So we like left them set up for a morning hunt, went back and ate lunch and then came back for an afternoon hunt. And it was incredible from the highway, you know, 800 yards away, how much better I could see the sleeper shells that were the FA ones. Just that that little bit of difference. Definitely. But so, all right. So my next thing here is uh, always have a flag, never flag a geese looking at you. 
I think that it's a, I honestly think it's almost a mortal sin to go goose hunting without a goose flag. It's amazing how you can get the attention of geese that are trafficking by you, but you never late season flag a goose that's looking straight at you. And definitely that de- you get voted out of my blind. If you flagged the goose that was locked up, I'd probably just kick you out <laughs> right there on the spot. But yeah, always have a flag, never flag geese that are looking at you. So how, how far away would you can like, if they're 800 yards and, and flying towards you, is that looking at you? Um, I think that like, Hmm, I, you're getting on the edge there. I'm saying that like, uh, usually a flag is like when they're, when I'm looking at, like looking at their side, they're flying left to right in front of me at any point, then they're, or then they're good to flag. So if they're left to right anytime, then you're good to go. If when they're coming, like flying, if they're gonna, I'd say that if their path is going to fly straight over your blind, I probably wouldn't flag. Do you like to mouth call when you flap it? No. Why would I do that? <laughs> I don't know, man. I've just heard it works. I mean, do you normally flag? You don't seem like the flag. I've never actually, actually no, seen I don't. it. I, 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 oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> I stuttered there for a second. <laughs> I own a flag. I own a flag. That's what I was trying to say. But no, I don't. I don't really bring it. But um, you're uh, convincing me. So when you come this weekend in case I can't find mine, uh, go ahead and bring yours. Let's see it in action. It literally never leaves. I have it stuffed in my gun case all the time. All year long, it stays in my gun case. And it's like, we've even called in geese with no goose decoys, but with a flag. And you can get them to, like if we're on a duck hunt, you can get them to come give a look enough. They're not going to land, but you can come give them a look enough to you know, take a 20 some yard shot at him. Mm. But yeah, I always have a flag literally like it's incredible how often you can flag geese from like super far distances. And they'll, if they're a little bit interested, you'd be surprised what you can pull off. Awesome. Good, good, good tip there. I will, uh, I'll probably put that one in my, my bag of tricks as well. So uh, play the weather. That's the next one I got when it's cold and sunny, um, the most likely feed later. So um, like this Sunday, this Sunday I went and um, went on the river and I knew it was going to be, I knew it was going to be one of these days. Super cool. I think it was negative five uh, wind chill, negative 15, not very windy, but blue bluebird day, clear bluebird day. And sure enough, I mean, I sat till I was marking you back and forth telling you about how cold my feet were. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I sat till around 11 and then I picked up, you know, got out of there about 1130. They never flew. So that's really what I expected, but um, I just wanted to go, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you can't shoot them from the bed, but uh, <laughs> so I just, I just went for it. Um, I knew there was a lot of geese in the area and I hoped that I was wrong, but if I had a bet before I left, that's what I would have bet would have happened. So on those cold bluebird, Sunny days, especially those really bitter cold days, I do feel like the geese feed later in the afternoon. Um, that being said, um, if you're uh, if you're going to hunt in the field instead of like me on the river, uh, then you might pick the afternoon for your hunt instead of the morning on those days. If you got all day though, like I said, you don't want to get caught setting up, um, mess up your hunt that way too. So it's kind of hedging your bets, uh, but. If you cut all day, you might just on some of these late season goose hunts, um, we'll sit all day too. So, uh, but if it's a rainy or if it's a snowy day, um, my belief is that they feed pretty much, um, right away. You know, we're talking like nine 30 in the morning, they'll be heading out to the field, if not sooner. Um, so vice versa, if you want to be 
a river hunter like me on those days, um, I'm going to the river in the evening. So they're going to the field in the morning and they're going to feed all day. They're not going to leave. They're probably not going to feed twice. They're just going to feed all day in the river that they don't need to leave to get a drink. They don't, you know, they got everything they need right there in the field. And then a lot of times they'll fly back early from the roost or to the roost or to the river. And so you'll catch birds flying in. You can traffic them. You can set up for them flying in while it's still legal shooting light. Um, and usually on those type of days, I mean, we're talking like hours before the end of shooting light they're they're heading in. Like uh, I put out a video on a real snowy day where we hunted the river and well before shooting light, we had flocks cupping in on the river and had an awesome hunt. So, you know, that's, those are my belief systems for how I believe geese act with different weather patterns, whether you're hunting fields or the river. Uh, couldn't agree more. Now I have a question for you. I fundamentally, for some reason, have an issue with not hunting in the morning. If I'm going to go hunting, I'm going to be out at first light. And I have some buddies that are like, no, when we're you know, late season goose in context, they're not going to go out till 10 o'clock. So we'll wait until 930, 10 o'clock to go out and set up decoys. But for some reason, that goes against every fabric of my being. Are you the same way? Um, Not necessarily. There's definitely days where we will um, do the all day sit. Um, and that's days where we're just like kind of deliberating about what we think is going to happen. Like if we have a pretty good idea, like, let's just say like, it's the same weather it has been three, four days in a row. And they've been, like, maybe they feed twice a day. They go feed in the morning. It's just like real kind of like standard kind of, let's just say it's a low of 20 and a high of 35. Um, it's just, you know, partially sunny <laughs> or partly cloudy. Was that what they, is that the way they say it? I'm just saying like, uh, uh an eight mile per hour wind so i'm just saying like a really really normal winter day okay and they've been doing that they fed in the morning then they go back and they feed in the evening and it's like okay we'll just pick whatever time we think works best um and it's the same conditions we got them scouted so i have no problem with doing like an evening hunt hmm. yes yeah for some reason like if i'm not out there to see the sunrise i just like i feel like i wasted it i don't know i just it, <laughs> i don't know i can't explain it but Anyway, as long as we get the birds, as long as we get the birds at the end of the day, um, that's the way I want to do it. (laughs) Anyway, so my next tip is one that everybody knows. Everybody's been yelled at for not doing, but everybody does it anyways. And that is you got to keep your head down, especially on late birds. They're weary. They've seen they've seen other guys look up at them from blinds. You got to keep your head down. And like, I'm bad about it. Everybody's bad about it but you just got to do it. You got to keep your head down and let them work. Right. Right. I'd agree with you on that. Definitely the later the season gets, the more wary they are. Um, It's best, you know, you talked about this where you don't have a shot caller. I think that situations like this is where it pays to have a shot caller. It pays to have like the lead caller too, right? Mm -hmm. Where the guy, there's only one guy that needs to look at the birds, you know? Um, And it can be different guys depending on like, especially with ducks, when you got ducks circling, you know, it should only be the guys on the edges looking to see when they're swinging and and how to call. Like the guy in the middle, you should never be like craning your head and looking like up like that. Because right when you do that, that's when they're going to be circling right overhead and you're going to get busted. So it's like the guys on the end should peak when they need to and then just follow their lead. That's how you do good team calling. So, you know, if you got one really good caller in your group, like let him be the lead caller. Um, 
it doesn't always have to be him being the shot caller as well. A lot of times what whoever's hunt it is, be the shot caller. Um, just because, you know, it's just, it's, it's a, letting whoever's in charge, you know, who, whoever earned the hunt, I should say, should be in charge of that kind of stuff. Um, so it doesn't always have to be the best caller, but you don't need to be peeking, even if it is your hunt, you know, um, and you, you happen to be on the middle of the blind or whatever. Uh, let, let the, the side guys look, um, keep your head down and follow the lead of the caller that's uh, able to see the birds. Yeah, definitely. And like I said, I mean, I'm bad about it. I'm sure most people are worse about it than you, than they care to admit. Everybody says, no, I'm not the guy. I'm not that guy. You're, you're probably that guy. Like, I'm, I'm going to keep it for real. I know like a lot of duck hunters and I don't know very many that actually keep their head down. I mean, we all want to see the birds work. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have a buddy and it was, uh, it was his dad. I think it was his dad would say this saying to him. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty good saying. Um, but he said, you either watching ducks or killing ducks, but you can't do both. Hmm. It's it's pretty true, and I I right. really like watching ducks. I'm gonna be honest, with right? You. Oh like, yeah, I'm we so bad do, about right. it, right? So that's why, like, like when we're in that permanent blind in Kentucky, you could because you're like sunk back way in the hole, and there's yeah. tree trees everywhere. It's sunny, so you know you're in the shadow. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, for sure. There's there's instances where you can, and there's instances where you can't. Um, and you know, I think I get the benefit. Like a lot of times they're my hunts. A lot of times I'm the shot caller. So I pretty much just get to watch all the time. <laughs> yeah, and see, like when I'm not with you, I'm usually on my hunts. So I get to watch a lot and I'm usually the, the lead caller. So yep. I kind of get a look around, but it's still, I, I still look more than I should. And we all know we shouldn't, but got to keep it in the front of our mind, especially late in the year. For sure. All right. Next one I got is all white. Um, your hide is always important, but it's even more important when it comes to late season wary honkers, um, not just the hoodies and the hats and the grid hoodie. I mean, I talked about all that stuff in the from F.A., you know, um, you can wear all that kind of white camel. But not only that, but um, your blind covers. And, and actually, I was introduced to this uh, probably two or three years ago. Like I'd, I'd heard about it, but I'd never actually used it um, because the way that I've always done it is like brushing in an a-frame i mean the old saying when you think you're done brushing keep brushing right Mm -hmm. um and and it's true right so we get a-frames like that put them in the middle of snowy white fields and it works but guess what's a lot less work that works too (laughs) is actual just snow covers with nothing on there my mind was blown the first time we did it in a field cornfield probably like eight inches of snow we had white covers on the a-frames and like, I'm like, there's no top cover. Like we're going to get busted and we, we killed birds like decoying all the way in. So I was shocked that that worked. Um, so all white works really good. Um, like you said, another way to be different from all the other groups, you got layouts, you got, um, you got a frames. Um, and also you got laying out in white, especially in the snow, you can wear all white, um, and layout in it. Even if you're going to be in an A-frame with the white covers, like it does pay dividends to um, have like the white hoodie on top with a white hat, all that kind of stuff. Um, and you're going to blend in really well. So to me, it's still amazing. Having not done it before, I would not have expected it to work this well. Hmm. I mean, they say they can't see three dimensions, so it makes sense to me. Right. So. All right. So my next tip is wash your decoys. 
Because at this point, if it's late in the year, you've probably used your decoys for most of the season at this point. And when they really need to be at their best is probably when they're actually at their worst. So it's time to wash the decoys. Pretty much this is like a maintenance thing. Make sure your decoys are washed and clean. Make sure your blind has got brush. I don't know how everybody else is, but my blinds start at the beginning of the year when they don't need any brush looking really good. And by the end of the year, when they need all the brush, they all look run down and cruddy. So make sure you update your blind brush and update your decoy spread, like update the washing of the decoys. You, I always think it helps whether or not it's a 2% or a 10% difference. You know, every little bit counts. Right. Right. I mean, I've never done that. So I, I mean, I can add it to my list. Uh, usually I do it like at the beginning of a season, uh, I will wash my decoys, but um, yeah. You don't need to be washed at the beginning of the season. Well, they do from the last season Yeah, is what I mean. But if you change so, that instead and washed it for the last month of season, then they would, you'd be good. Right. Except, well, I think part of that problem for me anyway is like my, it's, it's been negative five when yeah. I'm like, they're just going to turn to ice. So, um, that, that, that makes it a little tough mm-hmm. right now. Like my, you know, my hose, which I didn't get off my house before the freeze is like froze to my house. So <laughs> there's probably a <laughs> shot of that. I hope if, yeah, I mean, I've heard rumors that you need to take it off before, uh, <laughs> freeze and i always done it i don't know like why you need to take it off like what danger it causes to have it connected to your house but that being said you still can't use it when it's a uh, negative temperature outside i'm sure i'm going to get messages now people tell me why you're not supposed to leave your uh your hose connected to your house um so yeah let me know man i guess i could google it too but um <laughs> getting a little getting a little sidetrack here um but anyways yeah definitely definitely uh it's worth worth a, a try to, to get those decoys clean. Um, all right. So I'm trying to look at my list and see which ones that we haven't um, crossed over as well. I got the height is critical. We talked about that a little bit, but don't be skimpy. Don't be lazy on the brush job if you're not using those snow covers, whether it's layouts or A-frames. A lot of times we brush in our blinds, you know, beginning of the season. And then as the season goes on, they get worse. Usually what happens is you lost brush, you set up, you told everybody your blind was already brushed and then the birds are flaring and everybody in your group's like, man, this blind's not brushed enough. And then you go grab some brush and kind of sprucing it up again. Um, but you know, just don't leave any of that to chance. Um, if you need to spruce it up, leave time before the hunt, um, and, and get that brushed in better because I mean, I don't know how many times I've been in groups or been a part of hunts where it's like, you need to like mid hunt. They're not working right. And you need to go brush them in. Mm-hmm. That's the worst, isn't it? Yeah. Cause then you feel like every single bird that flies over while you're brushing in the blind, you're like, Oh, could have had that one. Oh, could have had right. that one. But you know, you're too busy oh, brushing then, in the blind. You, then you play the, the game where you just bounce back to the blind over and over. Oh, get in, get in. Here they come. It's like, no, just like, yeah, we need to get this done. It's the same thing. Like when you're trying to get a bird, like retrieve a bird or something, it's like, mm-hmm. no, it's just like, we got to get the bird. Then we'll get back in the blind. Then we'll start hunting again. Yep. Yeah. So I agree. All right, so I got one that's one that I don't see a lot of people doing, but I don't understand. And low snow, so I'm talking like two to three inches of snow. If you look at geese that are feeding in a field, there will be brown spots of where they've kicked the snow up and where they're actually getting through the snow and eating. But I never see anybody actually take the time to do that with their spreads. And so what I do is go out with like a metal rake and rake it back a little bit. It takes a little bit of effort, but I get it down to the dirt. And then rake it around a little bit and I rake little pockets like that 
like a feed line and then set the decoys up like they're feeding in the, in the pockets. So I think it helps, you know, I've never not done it and then did it and then had it success change. Cause it's something I just do at the beginning of a hunt, but I never see anybody else do it. And I feel like it can't hurt. <laughs> I mean, you got to see how, right, how, right. how far up in the sky do you think they can see a Brown circle versus in a white field, you know? Right. Yeah. I think adding any level of realism is never going to hurt. So um, whether it's like adding some type of motion or like you said, making it look like their natural um, environment there that you, that they're normally feeding in a field. So um, yeah, definitely, definitely can't hurt to do more in, in my opinion. Um, so the next thing I got, we're talking about calling, um, calling honkers in late season. So um, these birds have fl- flown over sets from Canada all the way down to wherever you're hunting from. Um, so they're wary. They're used to getting called at. Um, and it's just, it's just been a long season by, by this time of the year. So um, different factors that I'm not 100% sure on affect the birds differently. So you kind of get different birds in different moods on different days. Um, so the strategy that I've been going with is to match the mood of the birds, match the volume, match the pace of what you're hearing from the geese. If they're coming in more silent, you know, maybe some, um, some clucks and moans, if they're being real high volume, loud and aggressive, then we're going to match that too with some team calling. So, um, it kind of goes, you know, for all season, but I do think that I've seen more variety of this the later it gets in season. So um, you're going to have more success matching what you're hearing from the geese and, and keeping it natural, um, opposed to like everybody just calling off their, their calling their brains out. Yeah, in, in the blind, you get you get people that do that that just literally they learn how to blow a call and it's like they're trying to show off to everybody else in the blind. It's like, that's not necessarily what we need. You know, that's just, it's, let's just match what the birds are doing. And sometimes more at this time of year or less is more this time of the year. Yeah. Generally speaking late in the year, uh, we, we pretty much don't do anything if the birds are locked up. Like on the first set, our general rule is that the birds lock up and they're starting to set with the set and we just quit calling. And then if they pull up, then we're allowed to call again. But once they, once they lock, we stay pretty quiet. And then it's right. a lot of moans and stuff leading up to that. Not a lot of double clucks and definitely not a lot of spit notes. So if they're, if they're coasting in though, do you just kind of, it's like for me, like if you imagine with a duck um, for reference, you know, I feel a lot of people know how to call ducks better than geese, but um, you know, if they're coming in, you're not hell calling at them kind of chuckling, give them a little feeder chuckle and give them like a little mallard whistle, kind of finishing them in with those soft, the soft touches. Um, same thing with, uh, with, with geese in my opinion. So maybe you guys do it a little different, but if they're, if they're coasting in, like we might still just softly, you know, give them the cluck and moan a little bit. No, we, um, we tend to like, if they're coasting in, like I said, this is like the first group of the day that we're having work to spread. If they're coasting in, everybody goes quiet. But once they start to pick, right? So like you can tell when they're like coasting, when they like do that little like stutter pickup where they're not liking it, then you do that like little, the little stuff. You do a little bone, throw in a cluck. You have only one guy calling. But unless they do that, we don't call at all. And they'll just, we'll just <laughs> let them come all the way in on their own. If they're already doing what you want, you're not really doing anything by calling at them. All you can do is screw it up, right? right. 
Yeah, yeah. So I guess to some extent, like we'll, you know, the the uh, phrase we always use uses don't like don't call it birds that already that already are coming. Mm-hmm. But you know, the thing is, if you called them in, then to finish them, that's when we'll keep doing the the cluck and moan because you had to call them to start with. But I get what you're saying. Where if they just come in, then maybe you don't call it all. So yeah. But I don't know if I've ever. I guess we probably have a few times, but it uh, it's almost makes me nervous not to call when they're coming in. It's just like so tense. Oh, you know what I mean? Oh, I know. <laughs> and like, I often think that like I call for myself, not for the birds. I call to make myself feel good, which is probably not a good thing. Not probably a good habit, but it. I think I do it. So yeah, though, when they're, when they're already coming, yeah, we, we be quiet until they tell us to do something else. That's like the general rule late in the year. Early in the year, it's the complete opposite. You call your brains out until they until they decide to pick up, and then you be quiet. But right. That's just our definitely. So one of my other ones. This is so obvious, but you'd be surprised. Is dress warm and dress in layers, and then with the <laughs> dress in layers, when you're putting out decoys, this is something I'm super guilty of. Take off layers before you're hot, because if you wait till you're hot, you're going to get sweaty, and then you're going to be cold. So don't be afraid to walk in with with coats on your bag or in your backpack and then put them on once you get there and then have layers. There's a lot of people that they'll bring, they'll have a sweatshirt and then one really big heavy coat on. And then they're like, well, I'm too hot with the coat, but I'm not hot enough without it. And it's like, well, you need to have an intermediary layer. You need to be layered up. Right. Yeah. I didn't think to put this on my list, but that's definitely some excellent points there. Um, I will say the layer thing is super important. Um, I'll break down my layer, you know, the layering system I use, um, final approach. Um, I'll use the grid hoodie. It's an awesome base layer. Um, it holds tight to you moisture wicking. Um, if you look at the actual pattern, it's got a grid. So I'm sure that's why they call it the grid hoodie, um, which gives it those thermal properties, um, which you're going to have to ask some science guy how it actually works, but um, all I know is it's a great base layer and it does the job. Uh, then on top of that, a lot of times I'm wearing a hoodie, um, something like the heavy cotton knockout hoodie. I talked to the heavy cotton knockout hoodie that I talked about at the beginning of the podcast as well. Um, and then, man, I love the, um, the puffy jacket from FA pretty much those three things combined. Um, I'll wear that all the way into these negative five temperatures. Um, they do have heavier duty jackets but i just don't need them wearing the the triple layer right there and like you said um the biggest enemy of getting cold is getting wet and sweat is going to be the thing that does it to you so um i figured out this one this is my 100 pro tip because a lot of people get cold feet when it comes to hunting you'll hear uh, everything else is fine maybe your hands are cold um, but a lot of people it's just their feet regardless as their toes are going numb their feet are getting cold um, and it starts off with that sweat so um, you might have to pace yourself when you're putting the the decoys out like give yourself enough time that you don't have to like run around and rush and everything's super quick and fast and next thing you know you're sweating um, and then a step before that is uh, when i go to the hunt um, you know, a lot of people show up to the hunt and they have everything on. I can't do that because I get too warm. So I, I come to the hunt, like I'll have my bottom base layers on. I have like the grid hoodie on. I'll have like my waiter pants um, and I don't put my thermal socks on. Just have regular socks. And and I go to the extent of I take my regular socks off in case I got sweaty, 
let my feet like dry for like five seconds. Then I'll put the thermal socks on. Then I put them in my waders or then I put them in my muck boots if we're in a field hunt. Um, that way you're never because thermal socks are just too warm in the truck. If you put the truck temperature thermostat on 70 degrees and you got boots on, you're going to sweat. Your feet are going to be have some amount of moisture. If you go into it with no amount of moisture on your feet, I'm not going to say your feet aren't going to get cold, but they're going to stay warm longer. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So layering and all that stuff, especially for a new guy, you're not going to think about it, but it is, I mean, you have to be very deliberate about how you do that, how you approach it, because you don't want to be that guy that's miserable or that guy that wants to call off the hunt on a negative five degree day or even like a 10 degree day or a 15 degree day that's windy and it's cold. Um, <clears throat> you want to be able to uh, withstand all that. And I used to think that, man, I have a problem because nobody else is cold, but I was just doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And see, like I said, like my problem with the layering is, is that I usually forget that I can take the layers off until it's too late. That was always my problem for a long time. And then I don't have the capacity to slow down, like setting up decoys and stuff like that, like pacing yourself, walking in. So instead what I do on walk-in days is I bring two pairs of socks with me. So I like set up decoys and everything with one pair, get back to a dry spot, take off my waders and switch to a different pair of socks. Cause I'm incapable of like pacing myself. So I usually just bring two pairs of socks and that way I'm all, I got dry feet again. Once we're like actually set up and cooled down. It's crazy how, how big of a difference that makes to have sweaty socks. Oh yeah. It's crazy. And like we, we talked about this down there when we were sitting in Kentucky I mean, I could be cold on the equator in the summer. So like, I'm uh, just kind of like that. So I I try to do everything I can to stay warm. And that's another one that's just, it's just helped, you know, because again, I've learned that I, I just don't have that capacity for pacing myself. I can pace myself for like two steps and then I'm, I'm right back (laughs) into doing whatever I have to do at full speed. So, right. Yeah. I say definitely seems dumb to say dress warm for a tip, but like. It's important. <laughs> no, no, that's that's important. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, you're going to kill more geese because you're actually going to be out there longer, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and you're not going to be miserable. You'll be focused. All those, all those things that go along with uh, being successful. So, um, you got any more? Is that pretty much the end of your list? I got one more, and again, this is one that I think anybody that's hunted for a while, just like it's it's natural, people just do it. But a new guy might not know is switching to larger shot later in the year typically the geese have uh, more fat on them as the year goes on uh their feathers kind of get i think the best word would be like they get more dense i think it's like like it seems like they just like pillow up more so yeah i always switch to a larger shot now whether that means you go from a four to a two or you go from a two to a bb that decision's up to you i'm just saying that i would definitely try to go to a larger shot later in the year right i mean if you're already at a two i don't know if you have to go larger would be my caveat to what you said. I guess it's opinion based. There's probably some science somewhere around it. I've always been of the mind that a number two is still good enough. Um, you know, I'll use a lot of times I'll use like a number three boss, uh, bismuth. And, and that's that, that would did numbers on, on geese for sure. So, um, you know, it is one thing to consider as well, shooting bismuth for late season honkers. Um, but to, to like put up, put a, a solid recommend recommendation for the new guys that might not know. Um, like you don't want to shoot fours at geese. They work great for ducks. Whether we're talking about steel, we'll just do steel first. I'd say twos or greater for, for geese. I mean, some people, I know some people who run double B's for ducks and geese all season long, but 
I would say that's not recommended as far as like your pattern and the holes you're going to have. Yeah, it's going to put a hurting on them when you do hit them. But a lot of times it's going to be too small of a pellet count um, that you might end up wounding more than than uh, being successful on. So uh, I'd say twos are greater for late season geese and steel. And some people would say higher than three in bismuth. Uh, fours. I've shot them with fours. Um, and then I went to threes and threes definitely uh, seem to be the sweet spot um, for bismuth and, and geese. You, so, you know, my favorite shot sizes for geese, that's like really hard to find. But when I find it, I always buy it once uh, like T shot ones. <laughs> nah, shot size ones. It doesn't seem like it should be that big of a difference, but they just seems like a, a perfect little in between spot is the sure. is one shot, but really hard to find. But regardless, that's that's usually my go-to. But I mean, I usually just say step it up a little bit from whatever whatever you're kind of used to using. Now, uh, would you say that? Uh, I would say that ones are overrated. Yeah, ones are so overrated. There's one guy on the internet that says he shoots them. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was what I was really gonna say is like for late season geese. Um, three and a half inch shells, I still would say are overrated. Yeah, no, definitely. You're still just paying yeah. for another half inch of wad. Right. Call back to our, uh, over overrated, underrated, which was actually a highly popular podcast. So maybe we need to make another list of over, over and underrated things, um, for waterfowl. But, um, let's go ahead, wrap a bow on this episode here. Um, so last thing I'll say guys, uh, about it is, um, if you haven't done late season goose hunting uh highly recommended um for me when i first started out it was a way to extend my season um and and just be able to get out more and you know i had the passion for uh chasing the wood ducks chasing the mallards and then the occasional goose would come in and it was great it was pretty cool um but more and more man i've, I've just grown to love the um the process of going after late season honkers, you have some really, really cool hunts. You get to be out in some really cool conditions. You get to hunt some different ways, whether it's fields or, or rivers. Um, and it's totally different. I mean, I wouldn't say totally, but it's just, it is different and gives a different taste to uh, waterfowl hunting um, that I've just grown to love over the years. So if you haven't done it, just get out there, go after it. You're not going to know everything when you start. That's how I started. And here I am now years later, uh, just, building that knowledge base more and more all the time. We're never going to know it all, but we can increase that all the time. So definitely guys get after those big honkers. Um, and to wrap it up, guys, the mission of the podcast um, is to entertain you guys with some um, fun times, some cool story is to educate. And this is what kind of one of these episodes, educate new hunters coming in. Gone are the days where we have the mentors, uh, of father and grandfather bringing hunters in. We still have that and that's awesome. That's great. But more and more, we have so many hunters coming in at that 20 to 30 year old age. Um, I had the seed planted by my dad and grandpa when I was young um, of the thought of hunting. Um, but more or less, uh, you know, uh, I was mentorless going into it. And so it's, it's just super important. So things like etiquette and public land values and all that kind of stuff, um, which isn't always super obvious to somebody just coming in it is kind of uh, passed on as well. So, uh, and lastly, conservation, we're a huge fan of conservation. Obviously as duck hunters, we can see the negative that's happening and we want more positive with conservation um, and having this heritage and this lifestyle 
and this sport continue on. Uh, you need both. You need conservation and you need more hunters. So that's all we got for today, guys. I'm Jordan, Duncan Chronicles, Hunter the King of the Cans from Iowa, and we'll see you guys later. Hey, that's not what I said. We'll see you guys on the next one.